everyone. Welcome to The Eight. We are on a series titled The Author of Life. Raise your hand if you have seen Space Jam. Yes, this is a classic. This is a classic. So a lot of millennial generation Z like myself, this is, I mean, this is my childhood right here. This was released in 1996. For those who have not seen it, make sure you finish The Eight. Before you see fireworks tonight, you go watch Space Jam. This is a classic. And, and, and what's the go-to song of this, of this movie? What is it? Shout it out. Welcome to Space Jam. That's a good one. There's another one. Welcome to the Space Jam. Yeah. There's a, huh? R. Kelly song. I don't know if I'm allowed to say his name at church. <laughs> huh? I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. I think about it every now and day. But the, those are the words. You guys don't know. I believe I can fly. I believe I can fly. And that song is so powerful. It like, I mean, I remember as a kid, I was a huge Jordan fan. I had like the whole jersey and the snap pants, the whole thing. You can ask my parents. Like I, would, I was all about Michael Jordan. But when that song came out, I believe I can fly. I really felt like I could fly. Like if I saw Michael Jordan fly, I felt like I can do it. It just made, I really believed it in my heart that I, can, I believe I can fly. And, and that song really resonated with you. Again, if you, have not, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Make sure you do this. That's, this is your spiritual homework is to watch Space Jam. I'm even more excited because the sequel is coming out in two weeks, which I'm so pumped about. I have to pay for HBO Max just to make sure I'm able to watch this because it's going to be released on HBO Max. Uh, so it, this is the sequel. So I'm super excited about Space Jam coming out. But something that's, that's um, a very powerful theme in the movie, at least the first one. I haven't seen this one, obviously, is that you believe you can fly. Imagine if all it took was for me to believe. Imagine I could really fly if the only thing was required of me was to believe. Imagine that you're able to lose 10 pounds if you, can just, if you just believe in nutrition. You believe in exercise. Imagine. Imagine if it, all it took was just to believe and then poof, everything would happen. Most of us know how to believe. Most of us know what to believe. We believe in nutrition, we believe in exercise. But sure, we can believe we can fly. We can believe. And maybe we know what to do. Like for nutrition, we, we, we believe this is what I need to do. And we know what to do. But most of us just end at believing. Believing there is an author of life doesn't cut it. All of humanity can agree that there is an author of life. All of humanity, regardless of your culture or, or religion or spiritual background or worldview, everyone could say there is an author of life. There is a higher deity. There is a higher being. But believing that there is an author of life is not enough. When the author of life put on skin, he goes by Jesus. Jesus knows that believing is not enough. He doesn't stop at just telling people to believe in him. Yes, we sang a song about believing. Yes, we should believe. But he doesn't, that's just only the precursor. That's only the prerequisite to something so much more. Last week, when we launched this series titled The, the Author of Life, we talked about how there's only two things that marveled Jesus. Or the, the biblical term was used marveled. But there's, nothing so, there's only two things that surprised Jesus. Like, the, the emotion of being surprised is a powerful emotion. So you would think, okay, if the God-man, Jesus, was surprised, what were the things that made Jesus so surprised? It was only two things. Those who had tremendous faith and those who lacked faith. 
These are the two things that, mar- that, that marveled Jesus, that made him so surprised. It wasn't knowledge, and it wasn't obedience. People who obeyed Jesus, that didn't make him surprised. Those who knew about Jesus and knew the 600-plus commandments of the Old Testament, those who knew, that didn't surprise Jesus. It was their faith. Jesus does not tell people to believe in him. He tells them to put it into action. He tells them to follow me. He puts it into action because we all know that believing is safe. Believing is convenient. But to to follow, that requires another level. To all of us, it is safer to just believe. And let's be honest, if I can be frank, most versions of Christianity will set the bar to believe. Believe. Just believe. And that's where the bar is set. But the beauty of the first century church is that the church encourages us, cheers us on to be uncomfortable. The church cheers us on not to settle for just believing. Not the church. That's the body. But the head of the church. Jesus made it extremely clear. I didn't come down just for you to believe. I came down for you to follow me. Right now, in the liturgical life of the first century church, in the liturgical life of the Orthodox Church, we are in the midst of the season titled The Apostles' Fast, in which we highlight the 72 apostles in which they came with their insecurities, doubts, and, were, and they accepted the invitation not only to believe in Jesus but to follow him. With their hesitations, with their fears, with their insecurities, with their curiosity, with their questions, with their struggles, they were invited not to just believe but to follow and every year in this season of the church, in the, in the calendar year of the church, the church is inviting us not to just believe, but to follow their path. They came and, to, and, and came with boldness and guts and decided to go all into following Jesus. And we are called to do the same and not just settle to believe. The question in which, which drove the apostles and early followers of Christ in the first century and which should be the drive for us in the 21st century is this question. What would I do? Ask yourself this question. What would I do if I knew the author of life is with me and desires to work through me? What would I do if I knew the author of life is with me and desires to work through me? This is the question that made the apostles uncomfortable. The apostles were just like you and me, maybe kind of questioning, wanting to go further, wanting to go deeper, wanting that intimate relationship with God, maybe one foot in, one foot out. Wherever we might be, that was them. It was 72. It wasn't all 72 of them were like gung-ho about what was ahead of them. They were all at different stages. But they all did not just settle for believing. They accepted the invitation to follow him. And this is the question that drove them. What would I do if I knew the author of life is with me and desires to work through me? What would you do if you knew that the author of life is with you and desires to work through you? What would you do if you knew that the author of life is not just in theory, but is desiring to work through you, through darkness, through the midst of struggle, he wants to work in you. How would you respond to that? How would I respond to that? This entire six-part series, which I know seems long. I need to stop saying that so that way I can encourage you to still come every week. But this series, what's driving this is we all desire to have trust and faith into something or maybe someone bigger than ourselves. All of us desire that. But what, like, how do we build that trust, that faith, for it to be enduring? That when a hardship comes, how do I make sure that it penetrates through that and pushes through that? 
How can I have a faith that becomes applicable to work issues, to life issues, to marriage issues, to personal struggles? How do I build a faith and trust that transcends all of those struggles that come day in and day out? There's hardships waiting for you tonight. There's hardships waiting for you tomorrow at work or home, whatever the case might be. But how can you and I build a faith or trust into someone bigger than ourselves that can endure? We've all seen faith kind of come and go, either for ourselves or for others. They would say, well, I'm kind of done with Christianity. It worked when I was younger, but not anymore. Or we see faith that's so temporal and it has an expiration date. Maybe we need to reassess what faith is in order to make sure that it is enduring for all seasons of life. Catalyst number one is to hear and to act. This catalyst is when the intersection occurs, is when I come with my insecurities and my questions about faith, and I come with my view of faith, and I allow it to intersect the author of life. This is where I put it into action. This is where I hear something, and then I put it into action. I remember growing up, you know the narratives of the Bible. You know stories here and there of saints, whatever, and you know, uh, with all respect, but you know what I mean. I'm saying, like, you know the stories of the saints, you know the stories of, in the Bible, but when it's out there, and then when you reach a state where you realize how it becomes applicable to your own personal life, that's the intersection of this catalyst that we're talking about that builds enduring faith is when that intersection occurs between taking the narratives of life, the stories of God, and intersecting it with you and me. This builds, this is the number one catalyst in which we are talking about today. It is when our active faith intersects with God's faithfulness. This is where faith grows. In our first century church, every time we come together to read scripture and the liturgical life of the church, we don't just say, okay, everyone stand for us to read the Bible. What do we pray? We pr there's a, something titled the litany of the gospel, which is the prayer prior to the gospel, in which we all pray together, saying, make us worthy to hear and to act. So we, the, the church is wanting to prepare our mind and our heart, saying, okay, what I'm about to read, this text which gives me life, is not just dry text on paper or screen. No, in it is life. So we pray, let us not just settle to hear. Let us push ourselves to act and respond to what we hear. Another version of the litany, in which I, I love praying recently now at St. Mark Church, is this. And may we be worthy not only to be hearers, but also to act according to your holy commandments. The same theology, the same spirit, but just in a more elaborate uh, way of saying it. Make us worthy not only to be hearers, but also to act according to your holy commandments. We think trust and faith is a button we press. If I ask you to raise your hand, but do not raise your hand, do you have faith? Yes. Do you have trust? Yes. Do you believe there's an author of life? Yes. You would say yes. But it's not a yes or a no. It's you and I have the muscle. But are we working out that muscle? This, this, this is where we get uncomfortable. Or we know the reality of life. We know where God is. But it's where we take where we are uncomfortable. We take where there might be a little bit of tension. Where we know the right thing to do, but we can't get ourselves to do it. And we embrace that tension. And we hear it and we execute. This is a huge catalyst for us to build enduring faith. It is saying yes to God when it is most difficult. It is so easy to say yes to God right now. It's so easy to say yes to God on a Sunday morning. But saying yes to God tomorrow, 
when you go back to that issue maybe you're trying to avoid, that's a little bit harder to say yes to God. Jesus' like, go-to content, if you will, for like sermons, was, was something we, we hear uh, many times, of something called titled Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus kind of elevates the ethic of reciprocity. The ethic of reciprocity is, I talk about it a lot because this is how society talks about ethics. Do unto others what you want them done to you, right? That's the ethic of of, of reciprocation, ethic of reciprocity. That's the psychological term, the ethic of reciprocity. And Jesus kind of pushes and elevates, elevates and elevates and elevates that ethic. He says, I'm not here to come and tell you to be nice to those who are nice to you. What benefit is that to you? Actually, that was today's gospel for those who attended the liturgy. Well, what's the benefit to you? Good for you. I mean, mean, two-year-olds know how to do that. Those who have nothing to do with spirituality or, or, or decide to walk away from God practice that same ethic. So what differentiates you of following life? if that's your same ethic. And Jesus continues to elevate and elevate that ethic and pushes them and he invites them to a radical teaching. And he ends it with this. He ends the Sermon on the Mount with these words. Therefore, after he talks about elevating that ethic, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, everyone who hears these words of mine can hear it and go grab coffee after liturgy and go back home and come next week. Is that what Jesus says? Whoever hears these words of mine can hear them and go back to normal life. Whoever hears these words of mine can pat themselves on the back for hearing nice words and then go back to normal life. Whoever hears these words can then go say, someone else needs to hear these words and not me. Whoever hears these words can apply it to that jerk at, at work or apply it to my spouse or apply it to my friend. They're the ones that need to hear this, not me. How does Jesus continue, how does he conclude his sermon here? Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I ain't into construction at all, but I, I think I have a little bit of common sense like that it, I, you, I would think someone is wise. I think I would be wise if I built my house on a strong foundation, a stable foundation. So Jesus is pulling on something that they can that resonates with them, because they were more into that type of life. You and I are not, at least for me, I'm not. But it do, so it doesn't strike a chord. But for them, it does. It does. He says, anyone who hears my words of mine, and then puts it into action, puts it into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And let's be real. If I can be honest, many Orthodox Christians can fall into the trap of hearing the word come to liturgy, I do my thing, I go to liturgy every Sunday, and then I'm good. Sit in the same spot, walk back out. I don't need to talk to anybody. I don't, I'm definitely not staying for the eight. It, it, and that's it. And they'll just settle for liturgy, and that's about it. But what if God is asking you for more? Not, I shouldn't say if. <laughs> Take his words. If anyone hears these words of mine and puts it into practice, it's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. A wise person is the person who connects the dots. A wise person understands that the decisions I make today affect tomorrow. That's what wisdom is. If you kind of break down the fundamental element of wisdom, is understanding decisions I make today impact tomorrow. What I plan today will produce fruit tomorrow. So, th- th- I mean, that, that's wisdom in a nutshell. But the underlying question that Jesus is asking here, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you hear these words of mine? 
and then you put it into action. I mean, that's what wisdom is. But, but do you trust what I'm saying? He adds more elaboration for those who decide to just believe and adds an elaboration, an analogy for those who put their belief into action. He says this. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fail. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. You and I desire a foundation for us to be rooted, not into something that comes and goes, for it, but to be rooted beyond hardships and circumstances. And Jesus is inviting us to that. Hardship will come. He's saying the rain will come, the streams will rise, the winds will blow, and it will beat against your house. It will come. It's not about if, it will. But it is, what is your faith built on? Is it built on sand? Or is it built on rock? He's inviting us, do you want to trust me? Or just want to keep it at, I believe. I can do the whole church thing every now and then. I can do a sermon thing every now and then. Sure, you know what, I can, I can serve here and there to make me feel good. I can do that on the side. But he's asking me, are you all in? Continues. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Again, you have common sense. Imagine building a house on the sand and what that would look like. Ask yourself how many days that would last as opposed to building a house on the rock. Jesus makes it very clear in this elaborate analogy and description as he's concluding his sermon. It is super easy to just believe. You can, you can just settle for just believing. But believing can lead to deception. Believing can be deceiving. Believing can be deceiving if it's not put into action. There are many post-Christians. Post-Christians is a term of someone who's walked away from Christianity. There are many post-Christians who have a hard time of coming back to Christianity because they see what other Christians, what you and I believe in, they see what we believe in, but then they see our actions, and then they have a hard time understanding how do the two connect. I know what they believe in, but when I see their actions, I know they don't go together. This is why it's so hard for people to be attracted to Christianity. Forgive me for being harsh, but this is the reality. So many people have a hard time finding Christianity appealing. It's because they see our actions, but they know our belief, and they know they do not go hand in hand. And we wonder why people have a hard time of following Jesus. This, like, like this was so radical. For Jesus to make a point of not just saying, believe me, believe me, believe me, believe me. Okay, if you believe, then build on rock. I am the rock. Build on me. But build on the divine reality of who I am. Not just on sand that comes and goes. So he pushes them and he elevates them for that. And this ethic is what attracted so many people to Christianity. Because it wasn't just a belief. It was an action. It was an execution. It was here and also act. One of the disciples, St. James... Some scholars, some historians say he was a relative, actually, of Jesus. St. James said it this way. He was a bishop of the city of Jerusalem in the first century. He said this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If you and I believe, it can lead to deception. Because I can believe, like, if, if I ask somebody off the street, do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. 
But then you ask them to describe God, they've deceived themselves. They've, they've painted a different picture of God for them. Believing can lead to deception. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Again, going back to nutrition. You don't just believe, but it's the action that matters. St. James gives a beautiful analogy. It gives a, like a, almost a funny, um, like a, he adds an analogy to this description. You can look it up in, in James chapter 1 where he says, imagine that I have, he doesn't use, I'm, I'm using my own, but this is what he's saying. So, but you can find out the real thing. Anyway, he says this. Imagine I have a massive booger coming out of my nose. Imagine I have a bad, massive nose, and, and I have this, have, like, a snot coming down, okay? It's all up on my mustache and my beard. And then I look myself in the mirror. I look at it, and I go back, and I walk out. Like, I know there's a booger there. I look myself in the mirror, and then I go back out. How dumb would I be that I see a booger coming out of my, my I, I mean, I, 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 I walk out the door and go to church with that. I see myself in the mirror, and I go back. I believe it's there, and I put it into no action. I mean, you would be concerned about my mental health if I did that. And this is what St. James is saying. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. But whoever looks intently at the perfect law that gives freedom, it continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. He says, look, the mirror in which you and I are called to look at, that we are invited to look at, is the law of liberty. And, and the, the New King James would say the, the, the perfect law of liberty. The law of God is not restrictive. It's not party pooper. It's not like I can't do this because I'm Christian. No, it's freedom. It's liberty. Like this is the fullness of life, is the laws that in which God has given us. I hate using the word laws because it's a trigger for us to think laws is like, oh, the laws of the land. No, it's, it's, it's like the lines in the road, the yellow and the white line. Can you say they're the laws? Sure but they're actually guidelines for me to get to my destination. So the laws of God are there to guide me, to bring me to victory, to bring me to my destination, to give me life. So when, when I look at myself in those laws and I ask, where do I fall short when it comes to lust? Where do I fall short as far as my, my selfishness? Where do I fall short as far as my pride? Where do I fall short as far as my anger? When I look at this law that gives me liberty, that gives me freedom, this, and I, and I take action, and not just look at my booger and say it's going to be an awesome day, but I put into action, this is where I find Life. Jesus. The rain came down. The streams rose. The winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. Maybe some of us have gotten used to one crash after another. Not used to. We take one crash after another after another in life. Because maybe our faith is sitting on sand. Maybe our faith is sitting on circumstances. When things are good, I got strong faith. Yes, Jesus. When the circumstances fall and fade away, start questioning everything. Maybe it's built on sand, and the crashes will continue to happen. The most fascinating thing is how the audience's response to the Sermon on the Mount People heard what Jesus said and heard their, his analogy about as far as rock and sand, how to build your faith. Then he says, then it ends with this. St. Matthew ends it with this way. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. 
they paused and heard him, and they said, there has to be something different about him. Maybe you and I are here. Saying, maybe I've kind of been one foot in into, into to being all into Jesus. Maybe this, maybe I'm amazed by his teaching. Maybe I have been trying to, to push my faith that's built on circumstance, on sand, in other words. But maybe there's something different about the authority in which he speaks. That authority is not authority of this world. It's authority of the age to come. It's authority in which gives us life. Maybe our pursuit of the author of life is not based on circumstance. It's not based on faith that comes and goes. But maybe that enduring faith is taking that uncomfortable step. It's you saying yes to God, even when there are uncertainties. It's saying yes to God, even when you have the tension. What's that next step for you? What's that next step for you? And which the, you, there's a lot of uncertainties and a lot of anxiety around it. But where is that place where you hear, you know what the action is, but you can't get yourself to get there? Put God to the test. Put him to the test. Challenge him. Be all in. Take that step. Say yes to God where you are and see where your faith will take you. Sometimes we think just following Jesus is, is, is just for eternity. But if we root ourselves in him now, I promise you, we will be making better life decisions now. And we will be better at life if we understand the author of life. Let us stand and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, every single one of us, if we realize it or not, have this tension. Maybe we know what the right thing is to do, but our hesitation, our fear, our selfishness, our own personal struggles prevent us from taking that step. But Lord, we desire to build a, a, an enduring faith that is applicable to our relationships, to work, to our own struggles, to friendships, to our personal life. We want that applicable faith that is present in every aspect of our life and not just on a Sunday morning kind of thing. We yearn for that. We're hungry for that. But if we want to build that enduring faith, we need that courage and boldness and guts to say yes to you even when it makes us uncomfortable. We're not any different than the apostles. They took that step with tremendous amount of uncertainty. They said yes to you, and they found the fullness of life in you. And we come to you desiring that same boldness in which they had. And through the prayers of them, the apostles, Lord, hear us as we all pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.